Shalom, brothers and sisters. What an honor it is to be here with you. My name is Petey, and I'm excited because tonight we are going to have our live stream dealing with the Q&A's. You know, a few weeks ago, I sent out a text to many of you um, to send in your questions, and we received so many amazing questions. And by the way, if you ever want to know how to know when we're going live or when we're sending out things like that, make sure to get on our text list and you can just do that by texting with your phone right now. Take your phone and you type in Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A, and you send Yeshua to the number 94000. Yeshua to nine four zero 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 and you'll get a text when we're going to go live that day today tonight we are going to talk about some things like who is Yeshua talking to when saying depart from me in the end times we're going to talk about is the church kept safe from the end time wrath that will destroy the earth we're going to talk about other things, not just relating to end time controversies, but but day to day things like the, the, the question of, you know, what about those people who lived before Jesus ever came? Did they get saved? And how did that work? When does a Sabbath day start and end? Some people say it starts at uh, sundown. Some people say at sunrise is the start of a biblical day. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about disciplining a child and what the Bible says about that, taking oaths, zitzits, being filled with the spirit and more things. So I hope you're ready. I hope you are. You guys are in the live chat. I see already sending messages. Shalom, Thomas, Diewald. Good to see you here, man. Now, Rachel, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited. So um, I'm going to go right into the first one here. And this is a question. Um, from someone uh, anonymous from Pennsylvania. And it's regarding that question about end times and prophecy. And the question is, is, is the church kept safe from the end times wrath that will destroy the earth? Right. So just for some background on what this question really is talking about, when we're talking about eschatology, that is the study of the end times, we have um, many different positions, right? And, and I always say this when talking about this is this is not something we should fight about. This is not something to, to do, have this unity over, but it's awesome and we should study it. Now, some people, we get people who take a position of a pre-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, when the rapture basically is going to occur on the timeline. And the question really is, is will believers go through tribulation? Some people believe no, some people believe yes. And then there is at the way end the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is different from the tribulation in that the wrath of God being poured out is when he destroys, when he he burns up the earth, that baptism of fire that will come upon the earth. That is on the way end of the timeline. Most eschatology people in eschatology, most positions include the wrath at the way end. So as for the question of when the tribulation will occur, you know, that's one thing. But this question is about will believers go through the wrath now? I want to, to answer that question. I just want to pull up a scripture here for you. 
And this is going to be 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. And he says this, For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Okay, another one we can look at is John 3 verse 36. And here he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the wrath of God is something that you already start experiencing even before the end times, but it becomes fulfilled in the end. Ephesians 5 or 6. Let's read this one as well. Um, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Right. So we see continuously that the scriptures are talking about the wrath of God being for those who are the sons of disobedience, who practice sin, who do not repent of their sins. So it's a pretty easy question to answer in that sense. The scripture answers it for us. And I'll just touch on the other aspect of this question, I guess, is and that is, you know, the tribulation. Are believers going to experience trial in the end times? And the answer is yes. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 29. Uh, let's let's pull that one up here quick. OK, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes will mourn, and they will see him coming on the clouds of power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and he will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This is what some might want to make want to call the rapture, right? He's he's gathering his people, and that is happening when immediately after the tribulation. Now I know that there's I know that there's a lot of different perspectives and I know there's some people who will look at this and be like, but what about this verse? What about that verse? And ladies and gentlemen, for that reason, I I put out a teaching about an hour and that's an hour and a half long dealing with every verse regarding Yeshua's coming. And we, we really just create a timeline based off scripture. If you're interested in that, go check out the teaching is called raptured testing the pre-tribulation rapture raptured testing the pre-tribulation rapture. Please go check it out on our YouTube channel and if you're interested. All right, with that one out of the way, I hope this is blessing you guys. By the way, uh, at the way end, I'm going to take some more questions in the chat as well here for you who are watching live. So please stay to the end for that. Now, next question is about Zitzitz. All right, this is uh, Jennifer from Indiana. She asked this question. Thank you, Jennifer, for sending it in. And she asks, what is your opinion on Zitzit? Is it commanded? Is it valid for today? Some people think since we believe in Yeshua, that the Torah, the law of God is written on our hearts. So we don't need to look upon the Zitzit to remember the commandments. Do you think Zitzit have a spiritual aspect? Some people think it shows who whose you are, even in the spiritual realm. All right. Great question. So, you know, I've heard this before. She mentioned something about how people have said regarding Zitzitz. And, and I guess, by the way, I should just say Zitzitz are a commandment that God gave in Numbers 15, where he 
it's a peculiar instruction. I mean, let's just be honest. He's saying, take, and, and I can actually read it to you. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them, to not follow after your own heart, your own eyes, which you are inclined to or after Numbers 1539. So basically these strings, right, that are attached to the four corners of a person. And it is a type of, I guess you can call it a type of clothing. And he says in Numbers 1539, for you to look at and remember the commandments of God. Okay. So that's what he says is the reason that we have them. And I, I, I think there are more reasons, but that's what he said. And that is probably a, one of the primary, right? So the question is now people have said, like Jennifer mentioned, is that, well, people say that, you know, we have the Holy Spirit now uh, post Acts chapter two, new covenant, right? That means that the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit reminds us when we're breaking God's commandments and, and he, he helps us remember God's commandments. And, and so therefore we don't need to wear seats and that commandment is abolished. Okay, so first off, it's it's really hard. We shouldn't just conclude something based off assumptions, right? We're we're assuming because the Holy Spirit helps us remind us to walk righteously, that that means that the other things God gave to remind us to walk righteously is now irrelevant. You see, that's a big assumption. Secondly, I'll I'll ask you, well, do if, if we want to say that, you know, well, we have the Holy Spirit and he helps us remember the law. Do you remember the law? Do you remember God's commandments? Who is there really on the face of this earth that remembers God's commandments? Because to remember his commandments is really to not break them. Right. Like to to remember my instructions as the Lord speaks. Right is to do them, to know them, to make them part of your life. And so who was there that remembered his instructions? Probably just one. Yeshua, Jesus. He was the one who truly was without sin, who remembered all of God's instructions because he was the word made flesh. He was the word itself. And because he was filled with the spirit and powered by the spirit and because of who he was, he never failed. He never broke the commandments. So Yeshua being our perfect example, who who remembered all the commandments, who never broke the commandments and who was filled with the Holy Spirit, he wore wore zitzitz. So obviously Yeshua, Jesus, then it wasn't like, well, I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need to remember God's law by wearing zitzitz. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeshua didn't use that excuse. Can we? And as for, you know, the second part of her question, which is, you know, is there a spiritual meaning, you know, to these seats? What, what, what is it all about? You know, I, I think it's like I said, it's what Yeshua said is to remember the commandments. But at the same time, you see something spiritual happening because Yeshua's fringe of his garment is grabbed by the woman who's bleeding, you know, who's been bleeding for all those years and she's healed. And when it talks about the fringe of his garment, that is the translation. There is the zizi. That is literally the zizi that he was wearing because he did wear them. 
And that caused her, she grabbed that and she got healed because of that. That means that she saw those zitzits as, I mean, why did she grab them? You see what I'm saying? Like, like there's something there and it likely is a, a, a picture of Yeshua's righteousness because it is, is his righteousness and the fact that he never sinned, that he is holy that he has the power over death and the power to set us free from death and oppression. So really, his remembrance of God's commandments is why he can die for us and why he can set us free. And that is what she grabbed a hold of. And that is what set her free. So, yes, I think there's a spiritual aspect to that. And if you think about it, clothing or what you wear really identifies you. So when you think about in our world, when you see a police officer, how do you know it's a police officer? Because they're wearing a police police uniform. When you see a woman or a man, we look at what they're wearing. And that's one of the main indicators for us to get gender. If you have a man wearing a, a woman's clothing or a woman wearing a man's clothing, you know, it can get to a point where it gets confusing. Right. And that's why God tells us to not cross dress. So what we wear does bring identity, communicate our identity. And so when we wear these seats, it does communicate our identity as God's people, as Israel, as we are grafted into Israel. Remember, as Paul said, as we are now, we have a new identity that he gives us. We're no longer pagans and, and, and people of the world, but we are now people of the Lord set apart. We want to be like Yeshua. And so we do what Yeshua did. All right. I hope that blessed you. Um, uh, Suns Sunshine Gina Bauman in, uh, on the, in the live chat, she said, if he wears them, then we should. Amen. Yeah, I agree. It's exactly what I'm saying. So. All right, guys, let's go on to the next question. And uh, this is a good one. I think this is a controversial one that I'm about to get into. Hope you're ready for it. Uh, it's by someone who wished to remain anonymous. And the question is regarding when does a biblical day start and end? And this is, you know, a, a little controversial because some people take the position that it's, uh, you know, like the whole world probably thinks about like, you know, the world considers the beginning of a day in the, in the morning when the sun rises and the end of the day when the sun sets. And then a lot of people who start keeping God's instructions and learning about God and you know, they take a position sometimes where, well, the, the day starts at sundown and it ends at the next 24 hours later at sundown. All right. So what does the question say? Let's see. Hi, PD. I recently came across the idea that the beginning of the day is at sunrise and not when the sun goes down, as I have typically thought. There does appear to be some debate on this subject. Right. <laughs> Some suggest the day beginning at sundown is a Jewish tradition, possibly from the Talmud that might also originate from Babylonian and Greek cultures. Someone told me that the only time Erev, that is the day before a set apart or a holy day is mentioned in scriptures is at the Day of Atonement. Do you have any thoughts on this topic? All right. I do have some thoughts. I'd love to share them with you. And I'll just let the scripture speak for themselves in this situation. So I think uh, first off, what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull up Genesis 1 verse 5 for us. And this is what we read. 
Okay, this is creation. God is now making the day, right? And let's see how he describes it. He says in Genesis 1 verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Okay, sounds simple enough. The light day, the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay, so we see that there's this interesting word that's used, right? When we're talking about the word here and there was evening. Okay, that word is a Hebrew word that can simply mean night or darkness. And then there was morning. That is the word that would be the word for, say, day. And so what he is saying is like, look, the first day is is defined as being there was evening and there was morning. Or there was night, like the, the sun went down and went dark and there was morning. In other words, the sun came back up. And of course, we know a day is is 24 hours. And so this creation definition does seem to indicate right that a day from uh, according to the Lord begins when the sun is down, not when the sun comes up. Otherwise, he should have said the first day and there was morning and there was evening, right? That would that would make sense. But he says, no, there was evening and there was morning. That's how he defines it. But I mean, that's one to think about. Let's look at another example. I'm going to go to Leviticus 23 verse 32. And here we go. He goes on to say here and he's talking about the day of atonement. This was mentioned in the question. I'll just cover this one while we're here. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening from evening to evening, from evening to evening. Shall you keep your Sabbath? OK, he's talking about a high Sabbath. That is a holy day, the day of uh, atonement in this situation. And he's saying it begins from it's from evening to evening. All right. That's how this feast day is defined as. Now, some people may want to say, well, that's just the day of atonement, PD. Well, let's look at some more scripture. We're just building, we're building, we're building, right? That's what we're going to do here. Nehemiah 13, verse 19. And Nehemiah is now talking about the Sabbath day. And he is he is talking about closing the marketplaces, right? And he's going to tell us what he's going to do. And he says in verse 19, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath. Okay, notice that as soon as that began to grow dark before the Sabbath, okay, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath. Okay, so Nehemiah considers it when the sun is set, when the, when it is dark, he considers that the beginning of Sabbath, because when it started to grow dark, he com- he he described that as just before the Sabbath. That's when he went and he said, OK, guys, time to close up, time to get ready for Sabbath. And so when the sun was down, Sabbath began and that is the beginning. Look what he said there that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. So that that night, that that sunset uh, was the beginning of that Sabbath day. Right. So 
the last thing I'll say on this is that when you consider first century tradition, you know, this was brought up as well. And the question is, you know, well, you know, some people say, oh, you know, the Babylonians or the Greek cultures, you know, that's where this idea comes from, where the day starts at, at, at uh, sunset and um, at sundown, let me say. But here's the thing is when we think about the first century and we think about the time Yeshua was in, we know that they kept the considered the reckoning of the day the same way. And according to that historical record, you know, Yeshua, as far as we see, he never disputed that. And this would be a huge deal if Yeshua was like, no, no, no. The day actually begins in the morning and the Sabbath day begins in the morning and not like everyone else is doing it, that would have stirred quite a ruffled quite a bit of feathers. And, you know, if we see him uh, talking to them about their traditions of washings of hands and and healings on the Sabbath, you know, there's a lot of things he gets in trouble with, quote unquote, with the religious authorities of his day. He would have most certainly gotten into trouble regarding changing how this when the Sabbath needs to be kept. Now, I recognize that this is an argument from silence and that, you know, I'm saying this because it's not there that, you know, however, I think that considering all of the rest of the scriptural evidence I've presented to you thus far and taking this into consideration that we can confidently, very confidently in my from my perspective, say that the Sabbath begins and therefore the day begins from sunset to sunset. All right. So I hope that answered your question. Thank you so much for sending it in. I'm going to uh, re go into the next one here, and this one is related, and it's how do we know that the Sabbath, the seventh day is the same seventh day that they had in the early church, right? The question is, how do we know our Saturday is the same seventh day observed by the early church? Okay, thank you so much. This is a question from Arizona. And, you know, this is a good question. I'll, I'll bring up a few things with this. It's important. I mean, like, if we're going to be, if we want to be in great unity, we want to agree on when the Sabbath is. And so, the first thing I'll bring up is preservation through language. When you look at many different languages in the world today, it's interesting because you find that the word for seven, like the seventh day of the week, as we call it Saturday, the word is actually in their language. For example, in Spanish is the word Sabbath In Spanish specifically. It's Sabado, right? Forgive my pronunciation, but right, uh, that's the word that they're using to describe that seventh day of the week. And there are actually um, many languages, many languages that have this word. See, language is something so old and we can trace the meaning of word back to the origins and we can and, and it can help inform us as to how people consider things. So. That's one thing to consider. Another thing we can consider is the preservation through calendars. See, even though we have had different calendars throughout history, like we have the Gregorian calendar today as we use it, um, 
but we had different calendars before then. You know, the Roman Empire had change of calendars occur there. And before that, there were calendar changes. But what's important to realize is that when the calendars were changed from when we're looking at the period from the time of Yeshua in the first century, the early church, and we look at the period up to today, there was never a calendar shift or change that actually changed the days. There's always been a seven day week from Genesis, by the way. And also when a calendar change ever occurred, it was always they never messed with the day, the day of the week. They never messed with what day of the week it is for obvious reasons, because that would mess a lot of things up. Right. So that's the other thing we can consider. The seventh day week has been preserved throughout. And then we can simply look at and this is probably what I'm about to say is probably one of the strongest points is the, the historical record. Right. Yeshua, just like I mentioned with the previous question, he didn't dispute the Sabbath that occurred in his day as to what day it occurred. And we know that according to the historians that we have that have written um, about his day, we know that there hasn't been a change in the reckoning. There's no even a historical record of any dispute among Jewish groups that the day we call Saturday is the seventh day of the weekly cycle, God's day of rest. The Jewish people have successfully kept the original seven day weekly cycle intact. That, that's been their thing. They've been preserving it. It is it is how they have really been keeping their identity all this time. And the Sabbath is 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 treasured by the Jewish people even today. And. And yes, it's been kept intact, so I hope that helps answer that question. There is to, to just, I guess, answer it in this way is there is no evidence that the, there's just no evidence that the seventh day has somehow the, the counting of the week from uh, has seven has somehow been messed up and we're now counting differently than we had been. All right. So. So thank you for that question. Next question is salvation before Jesus, right? What happened before he came to people? This is from Christine. Christine, thank you so much from sending this in from Roblin, Man Manitoba, Manitoba. OK, I've never heard from about that place. I want to actually Google where that's from when I get off the stream. But thank you so much for for setting that in. All right. You, you know how G she's saying, you know how Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the father but by me. Some people would then say that no one before Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later is saved. But I mean, obviously, David, for just one example, was saved and born again. And I guess my question is, how does this work? Job is another example. How to explain to people that how do I explain to people that many people from the time before the cross are saved? That's my question. All right. Good question. Now. You know, firstly, I would start by saying when you think about God and his plans, the gospel really is something that's been there from the beginning. God, you know, like God didn't just, you know, 2000 ish years ago think, oh, I'm going to I'm going to birth my son into the world who's going to die for the sins of the world. No, this plan has been there from the beginning, from Genesis. OK, even in the book of John, 
uh, chapter 1, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeshua has been, has been there from the beginning. And in that sense now, when you think about people like David or, or Job or Abraham, God has been journeying with them and the gospel was even able to save them. And the scriptures tell us this. For example, uh, let me read to you. Uh, well, I'm going to read a few to maybe I'll read Galatians for you, but let me read first Genesis. So Genesis 15, verse six, just a verse here. And he Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so Abraham believes God and God considers Abraham's faith as counting that counting to him righteousness. He is saved by faith. He is chosen. He is used. He is God sees Abraham as a man of faith. And that's why likely why Abraham was chosen to be whom he was. But then when we read in Galatians, for example, Paul talks about this further and he says in Galatians 3, 8 and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, just like Abraham, right? He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying in it shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's actually saying that Gentiles today are saved in the same way that Abraham was. Isn't that amazing? He's saying that when he even God is saying, when I told Abraham in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. He's actually saying that the gospel was preached in that manner to Abraham. So while Abraham did not have the the revelation, probably right in the manner that we have it in that uh, how Yeshua has revealed himself to the world, Abraham still did meet God. Abraham was approached by God in many ways. Right. Uh, and and that's just one example where Abraham decided to then put his faith in God, just like God showed up to Abraham, just like Yeshua showed up to me and I put my faith in him in the same manner. All are saved and Yeshua's blood is applied retroactively to everyone in the past, present, future who put their faith in him. So that is how I would explain that to someone who who wants to say that no one before Jesus died on the cross, you know, is saved. That's just not what scripture teaches very plainly for us. And this is really good news. This is really good news. God is smarter than that. He made provision for that. And he his power is greater than than the limitations that we may consider there to be. All right. So I hope that that answers your question. Uh, Christine, thank you so much for sending in it in. I really appreciate it. Cool. All right, I'm going to go on to the next question here. It's just regarding the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. And this is a good question. If it's true that this is the question, if it is true that the salvation prayer is man made false doctrine, how do we then become filled with the spirit by following the Ten Commandments question? OK, so there's two things here. Is firstly, is the 
salvation prayer, a man-made false doctrine? And then secondly, how do we become filled by the spirit? Is it by keeping the law? All right. So this is important for me to address, and I'm so thankful. That's why I wanted to talk about this. So listen, when it talks, when we're talking about the salvation prayer, the prayer that says, you know, Jesus, come into my heart. Um, I give my life to you. And, you know, some people have said that the sinner's prayer, as we can call it, you know, that is not biblical. Now, yes and no. And and I say this because it, it's, it needs to be explained. See, the sinner's prayer in of itself is not what determines whether someone is saved. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who who once in their life say, Jesus, come into my heart. Right. And but they, they aren't believers according to how the scriptures define a believer to be. Okay. Just because you say a prayer doesn't mean you actually believe it. You can God. It's not like about some some magical chant or special formula of or just to say, I Jesus come into my heart. Now you're saved. Live the way you want. Don't worry about even, you know, going to church or, or living for him. Live for yourself. You said the prayer. You're fine. Many people actually think that is the way that you get saved and that's you can live the way you want. And so in that way, the sinner's prayer is dangerous. But there's nothing wrong with with having that be the beginning of someone's journey. Someone someone's journey will all likely I mean, mine and yours and many of us have had journeys who began with God. I give you my life. God, Jesus, come into my heart. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's good. So the question is, is have you given your life to him? And do you are you a believer? Because to be a believer is to actually believe what you say. You see, the the, the mindset of the Bible of how a believer is defined is to actually not just say something with your mind, but believe it with all your being. So if you believe in Jesus, have you picked up your cross and followed him like he commanded you to do? Have you have you put away all other masters in your life and said, Lord, you're my Lord, you're my savior. Have you have you stopped the the habitual sins that you were in bondage to? Are you fighting against sin? Are you battling to be free? Are you or are you just like Jesus? I follow you. Thank you for saving me. I can live the way I want. Okay, that's what we need to understand here. Are you a true believer? And then to as to the second question, how do we then become filled with the spirit? Is it by following the Ten Commandments? Okay, very, very important to answer this. Many people, right, when they start being like, wow, I need to be obedient. I need to follow the instructions of God. Praise God for that. I want to you want to live holy. Praise God for that. But then we we somehow start thinking that this is how the Holy Spirit is is achieved. You know, I spoke to a man once and he we were talking about casting out demons and he said to me, Petey, you know, I, I don't I, maybe one day when I can keep the Sabbath more and and when I keep more of the law, then, you know, I can cast out the demon. And, you know, if that's your mindset, you're never going to cast out a demon. You're never going to walk in the spirit. Do you know why? Because you are actually now attributing whether the Holy Spirit is going to work through you according to how well you keep the law of God, how well you do in your works. Now, look, we, we ought to w- w- have good works and walk righteously. 
But look at what Paul said. Okay, Galatians chapter three. Oh, we, we are in Galatians, so I can just open it up here for you. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Yeshua the Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you of this. Listen what he says. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if it was indeed in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counting to him, counted to him as righteousness. Right. So we see that Paul is saying he's warning. Do not rely on your works of the law to qualify you as one who is deserving of receiving the spirit. Look, man. If you think that, oh, look how well I did today. Now I deserve the Holy Spirit, man. If that if you think that's how I get the Holy Spirit, none of us deserve him. None of us will ever achieve that that level of holiness that Yeshua did, because that's what's needed to receive the spirit. If you want to go on that. But it's because of what he has done, because he was sinless, because he died for us, that we can be saved by faith in him. And that's in the same manner that as how we receive the spirit. Salvation is by faith. Receiving the spirit is by faith. And then our works will naturally change because we love and believe in, in him and are changed by him. But it is by faith that he works with his spirit in and through us. So do not attach your good works to walking in the spirit. Because then when you make a mistake and you will, when you have a bad work one day, then you're going to be like, oh, no, the Holy Spirit can't work through me. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit's going to leave me. Oh, no, because why you are because your your doctrine is that the Holy Spirit is only with me because I've been keeping the law kind of well or kind of OK. Because we are. We, we need him because we need Yeshua is why he sent his Holy Spirit. He did not. If we were able to be good, we wouldn't need his spirit. If like in what I mean by that, if we're able to be good in of ourselves without the spirit, we don't need the spirit. But it is because we need him that we receive him. It is then therefore by faith that he gives himself to us. Okay, guys, I hope that this this is so important because I think a lot of people are actually kept away from the spirit because they think, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because I have this and I have that. I made this mistake. I made that mistake. And yes, if you believe that you will not be good enough in that sense, but it's not because I'm good enough that Yeshua died for me in, in uh, according to my works of the law. He died for me, in fact, because I needed his sacrifice. But he died for me because he loves me. He died for you because he loves you, because he has set you apart as his own, because you're his child, because you're his son, his daughter. And that's the same reason why he sent his spirit for you, because he loves you, not because, oh, you've been a good boy, you've been a good girl. Here's no, it's because he loves you and he's giving his spirit so that you can be empowered to be a better believer and to be a believer who who sets others free. Okay. All right. 
let's go on to the next one. Um, another question from the same person. And the question is, will those who, who don't follow Torah, who don't follow the law of God, because they are in churches that don't teach it, be held accountable? Okay, good question. First, I would like to ask, what is it? And I, and I guess, you know, this is kind of connected to what we just said. You know, what is it to follow the Torah? And what is it to, to not? Those, what, who are those who, who don't follow the Torah? And who are those who do follow the Torah? Who are those who follow the law? Who are, who are those who don't follow the law? I, I ask that question because it can be easy for us to say, well, you know, those people who don't keep the Sabbath day holy, they're the ones who don't follow the law. Or we can say, oh, those people who don't have the diet I have, they're the ones who don't follow the law. Or, or those people who don't insert the law that I am passionate about here, those people who don't do what I like them to do, uh, they're the lawless ones, right? You know, we have to be careful of this because Yeshua said, if you break one, you know, you, you say, well, I, I don't murder, but I commit adultery of the heart. Well, you you've broken the law. You say you say, oh, well, I keep the Sabbath, but you, you got you went home and you watch pornography. Well, you broke the law. You say, well, I eat clean, but then you gossip about your brother or sister. Well, you've broken the law. And then we but we like to point the finger at someone else and we're like, well, you, you, you didn't keep the law, but have we? It's something to think about as to how we consider others because Yeshua warned of this. That's why he continuously warned the religious of pointing fingers and take out the log out of your own eye first before you point out the finger in your brother's eye. Because when your log is out of your own eye, you can see clearly. So now as to oh, I needed to say that, but now let's let's look at the question. Those who don't follow the Torah because they're in churches that don't teach it, are they going to be held accountable? So <clears throat> I think that they're going to be, I think all of us, to an extent, will come before him and realize that there were things that we should have done that we didn't do. I mean, you know, this is kind of, I'm not a perfect man. And I think any man who considers himself as having arrived is going to be shocked when he gets face to face with the father. I would rather take the approach of being humble and saying, Lord, I uh, help me, Lord, I am, I am, I am inadequate, Lord, I am, I am not. I don't deserve him. You know, I don't deserve his presence. I don't, you know what I'm saying? And, and so then now in the same way, yes, we are going to, there's going to be accountability. You know, when we come before him as to how we live this life, we are going to be held accountable to that. And I'm not I'm not talking just I'm not talking about salvation per se, because, you know, salvation is by faith. Those who are in him, those who believe in him, those who have, who have really believed are saved. Amen to that. But then there are going to be. Different stages, different levels in heaven. And if you've never heard about this before, I guess I should just read Matthew 5, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called 
least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Yeshua himself says. This is not my words, right? This is his words. Okay, so he is saying, look, there is going to be a greatest and a least in the kingdom of heaven. And in some ways, he is saying that those who teach and do will be called great. Those who teach uh, do not teach or, or let me say who teach that they're to be abolished or and do not do them. They'll be called least. And you should also say those who are least in this world will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are greatest in this world will be least in the coming kingdom. Okay, so there is a there is a different stages. There's a hierarchy there that he over and over alludes to. I don't know what that looks like, but it's there. And he does connect it in Matthew 519 to the keeping of the law and the commandments. So there is a level of accountability there. And I think that, yeah, if that answers the question, but at the same time, you know, I don't even know where I'll land. I don't even know where I'll land. It's, it's, you know, like, Lord, when I stand before him, right. And, and his holiness is there and he, and I'm face to face with him. And, and I, I just know that my face will hit the ground. I just know that that moment for me will be uh, a moment of, the fear of the Lord. Let's just say it that way. And as much as I love him and as 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 hard as I try to please him, there are things that I do in life that I don't like to do. And there are things that just like Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And, and I find myself sometimes in that position where it's like, you know, and, and maybe I'll just even when I get there, I'll be like, oh, if I just pray more, if I just sort him more, if I, because, you know, and it's it's always there that that question of when I ha when I see him face to face and not dimly anymore, like it is now. We're probably going to look back and. And maybe we'll have some things we hope we did differently, but maybe in this moment, as you listen to me, maybe this can be a thing of, wow, when I'm there with him, let me minimize my regrets. Let me minimize the. The possibility for being sorry that I didn't seek him more, that I didn't seek his ways more. But at the same time, understand that he has saved you and he has accepted you and he loves you. And he, it's not. And, and even if you're a particle son, that's run away. He's calling you back and it doesn't matter where you're at in life and what you've done. He loves you and you're, he is your father. He is you are his son, you are his daughter, and he is preparing a place for you in his kingdom as we speak. And he is, you know, if you run this race honorably, he is going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Enter your inheritance. Amen. So. Praise God for that. Praise God, man, that he has died for me and died for you and allowed us a way back to him. Like what is more precious in the world than that? Uh, sheesh. OK. Um, next question. How am I doing on time? All right. We're still all right. Why depart from me? All right. This is a question from Georgie from Sacramento, California, uh, California. Yeah. I'm I'm learning my my US geography still, all right? So bear with me. 
<laughs> okay. Here we go. The question is, I've been doing this walk almost three years, so I have many questions, but this one I often ponder. Who are the people that the Messiah is referring to in Matthew 7, 23? If they are doing these things in his name, wouldn't they have to have the Ruach? And if they have the Holy Spirit, wouldn't they be following the law? I appreciate you considering my question. May our Father bless all of you and rise and fire on this great ministry. Oh, thank you, George. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, good question. So Matthew 7.23, for those of you who are listening to this, I'm just going to pull it up for our, our context here quick. And he says this. <clears throat> Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, cast our demons, do mighty, many mighty works in your name. And I'll declare to them, I never knew you depart worker of lawlessness. Okay, so and this is a good question. You know, if these people are actually doing all of these things, right? Like casting on demons. That's a big deal. It sounds like they're doing mighty works. They're prophesying. And wow. And then he says, I will tell them I never knew you. Like, what? Like, what do you mean? Yeshua, they're doing great ministry. What, how could you tell them I never knew you? Didn't the Holy Spirit work through these? But see, firstly, we need to recognize the reason why he says, I never knew you. The reason is not because they did these things. Some people have, I don't know why people want to say that, but I guess if you don't like people causing our demons or prophesying, then it's, it's an angle. But the reason that he is saying, I never knew you to these is because of their lawlessness. Okay. They, they were people who, and, and when I said, when we say lawlessness, we need to be careful because we just discussed in this whole video about how, you know, none of us are perfect and we all make mistakes. But see, I believe a worker of lawlessness is someone who is practicing lawlessness. In other words, is someone who is that word practice is important. It's or a worker. You know, if are you a worker for God or are you a worker for the enemy, the lawless one? That's where the, what this comes down to now. This is kind of strange because can you be a worker for the enemy, a worker of lawlessness and then do all these mighty works? That's what the question really is. And it's a good question. Absolutely. Now, what I would first say to this is, as we have already determined through Galatians three, verse two, our the Holy Spirit working through us is not based off our works of the law, how well we keep the law. OK, we have already established that. And so now in this way, because a spiritual gift doesn't come or isn't exercised by works of the law or how well we keep the law, God can still work through someone's gifting, even if they are a worker of lawlessness. And let me make, make an example. If someone is a pastor, they're gifted in teaching, they're gifted in sharing God's word and the enemy and let's just say that this pastor falls away. He falls into deep sin. His relationship with God erodes away. He he is in sexual immorality, practicing it. He is not fighting. He is, you know, of that sort now. 
and he retains his ministry position. And by the way, this, of course, has happened and will happen. This pastor is coming in every Sunday and he's preaching and he's using his gift. And, and let me say, someone can still come to faith through that man's preaching of the gospel because God loves people and God can work even through us despite our sin. He can work through us despite what we've done. It's not what he prefers. It's not how he can work most powerfully, but he can do it despite us. He worked through Joe. Um, jo, uh, he, he, yeah, he worked through uh, um, uh, uh, Jonah, not Job, excuse me. He worked through Jonah despite Jonah's uh, rebellion against the call of God. He worked through Aaron the high priest, despite the fact that he made a golden calf. Okay, God can work through people and 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 keep their callings intact, even when they fall short, even when they sin, even when they make big mistakes. Because ultimately. Where's that line truly? If God needs a perfect man to work through, who is he really going to work through? His spirit can work through us even when we've made mistakes because it is a faith. And so these people in Matthew 7, 22, they are people who are who have faith. Look, Lord, Lord, they say. They, they, they know him, they know they, they think they're expecting him to accept him. But yet he, he does not. Because the man who says, Lord, I believe in you, Lord, I have faith in you, but you're a worker of lawlessness. That man is not truly a believer. See, a true man who truly if you want to say, Lord, Lord, like if you truly say, Lord, Lord, like you are my Lord, you are my king and you have the fear of God in you. How can you be a worker, a man who practices lawlessness? who has an eroded, who has who has totally fallen away from the Lord. You see, it just doesn't come together. So what they said was not truly where their heart was. And so these men or these these people before Yeshua were practicing ministry, doing ministry things, and his spirit may even to some extent work through them. But that does not mean that they are guaranteed to be in in good relationship with the father. You can cast out a demon and that night go home and go back to your addiction. You can heal the sick and after the conference, go and cheat on your wife. Right? You can live an habitual sin while running a ministry. And that is something that ought never to happen, but it has. And Yeshua is speaking about those people who will one day stand before him. And they think that their ministry and what they did there is going to be an excuse and is going to be their saving grace for continuing in their working of lawlessness. So I hope that this answers that question. God wants us to be free, brothers and sisters, and he wants us to be workers of righteousness. Another question that's related is, are you really saved if you're hot, then cold? Okay, Revelation 3.16 says, well, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right, Yeshua speaking. So 
are you really saved of hot and cold and hot and cold, right? So in other words, if you're someone who is, okay, I'm on fire for God and then I go totally cold and I'm on fire for God. Well, here's the thing. Why do that? Okay, I understand the question, but but why do that? Why why be in that state? If you know that you're hot and cold and hot and cold, just stop being hot and cold. Why take that risk before him one day? I, I can't tell you if you're saved. Yeshua is the, 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 the judge there. I, I can't judge salvation of individuals. However, I can tell you that I wouldn't want to risk that. And and I guess I'll just also also say this as a disclaimer is what is hot thing called hot thing called really mean? Does because if I'm saying. If it means that I'm fighting sin, I'm struggling to break free from a sin. Hey, I'm fighting this addiction. I don't want to do this anymore. God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. And you're fighting this and you're you're battling with them against this sin. That doesn't mean you're hard and cold and hard and cold. You're you're fighting. See, people, uh, the body as a whole, we're all fighting things. We're all growing. There's many things that we will have to overcome in this world and temptations we will reject. That doesn't that doesn't mean we're cold people in of itself. It it just means that and, and we'll go through seasons. We'll go through seasons where where we feel like we're doing better in terms of um, things are going better well with us. Right. And we'll have seasons where it's hard to pray and it's difficult to push in. And, and those things are are natural. We just have to keep pushing, keep running the race, as Paul said, with endurance to the end. That's why he says, keep fast, stand fast, because he knows that that it goes like this. It's hard. You need to keep going at it and don't give up. Don't don't let the enemy uh, get, gain ground in your life. So that's all I would say to that question. Thanks for sending that one in. And uh, Thank you so much for thank you so much, Daniel, brother. I see you just sent in a, a, a super chat. I really appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, she rejoices, says we cannot do it on our own. The flesh is weak, but the Ruach is willing. Amen to that. Uh, Melanie Barnett says, thank you for doing this. I needed it. It's not about what I do. It's about what he did. And because of what he did, I have been made worthy to receive his grace and mercy and his spirit. And because of his love, we want to follow him. Amen, Melanie. Amen to that. Thank you so much for sharing that in the live chat. Appreciate you guys being with me and sharing your thoughts. All right, I'm going to go on to the next question here. This is about disciplining of a child. All right, so uh, and an anonymous from someone who wishes to remain anonymous from Chicago. I was wondering if the verse in Proverbs spare the rod, spoil the child literally means that we are to spank our children for discipline. Good question. I, I love this question because it's important. All right, let's just look at what the Bible says, because the word is our authority. Amen. Proverbs 13, 24, first one, he says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. That's strong language. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Let's go to Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike 
If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. I'm I'm chuckling a bit while I'm reading this because I can't help but think that the writer here of Proverbs is is saying this in response to what people are worried about. You know, like is my child gonna die? Is he? Are they gonna not? You know, it's it's kind of an exaggeration of of speech, of course. Are they gonna you know be be mentally injured for life if they get spanked? Right. And this is really what this Proverbs writer is responding to. And and I think he's saying, look, if you strike him with a rod, he won't die. Do not withhold discipline. Whoever spares his rod hates his son. I think he means what he says. I do believe that it is important for us to have consequence for when a child is disobedient, especially in, in relation to a, a little bit of a inflicting a little bit of a physical pain. Now, I'm talking about experiencing a physical pain, but without any physical injury. Very important, right? If you are hitting your child and there's physical injury, you are doing it wrong. Parents do not. You will provoke your child and it will have the opposite effect on your child than what you desire for it to have. But inflicting a little bit of pain for the child to associate. Wow, I did something wrong. There is a consequence to my action. This is a basic lesson every human being needs to learn because it's true. We will stand before God as adults and we will have to answer for everything we've done wrong, right? There is going to be consequence. So you need to teach your child from a young age that there is a consequence to evil deeds. And you should teach them that before they get older, before they become a teenager, because by the time that they get to become a teenager, the that kind of discipline doesn't really work anymore, as I'm sure many of you uh, parents who have teenagers have found out. You know, it's kind of like you start you, you spank your, your teenage son who's now 16 and he looks at you kind of like, Mom, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't work in the same manner anymore. You needed to discipline them that in that sense before that stage of life. And when you discipline them in this manner, it has to be controlled, not from rage, not from from this emotion that is that is extreme, you need to have a controlled discipline on your child from love. You love your child so much that you want them to walk righteously and rightly before the Lord and disciplined so that so you inflict a little bit of pain so that they learn the lesson and you do it out of their, your love for them to walk with the Lord. And I'll just read this Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the Lord with discipline and instruction. So do not abuse your power and your authority over your children, but you be wise as to how you do that. All right. I hope that helps out. I see uh, just in regard to the to the previous question in the live chat, Kathleen says it's good to be hot and good to be cold, hot water, cold, fresh water, but to, don't be lukewarm or else. Yeah, uh, you know, that's the scripture is talking about. Um, don't be lukewarm. Don't be someone who is 
who is, I, I believe in God, but you don't live that way. That's the most dangerous position to be. That's the person who is vomited out of his mouth. Yeah, good point. Thank you for bringing that up, Kathleen. Nate Gates said, as long as we gain more ground in one day than we give up, we're making progress. And on the days we give up, there is grace. Just keep fighting. That's a good word. That's true. We need grace on ourselves. God has grace on us. So don't be too hard on yourself as well, brothers and sisters. Some of us are too hard on ourselves. We need to understand that God has grace on us. Yes, we don't enter habitual issues. We don't make it a practice and we don't get comfortable in our sin. But we also should have grace when we do make a mistake and and we're fighting, you know. All right. Next question we're going to do regarding the Sabbath. And this is from Lisa from Chicago. Lisa, thank you so much for your question. I appreciate that. And she says, I came across a passage in Galatians 4, particularly verse 10 and 11, which made me question whether I should keep the Sabbath. Can you explain in context what Paul was talking about in this passage? What concerned me was that in this chapter, he talks about the difference between the Old and New Covenant, which he then speaks about how observing days, weeks, months, are no longer needed unless we want to continue to live under the old covenant. I would love to hear your perspective regarding this. Thank you. Great question. So let's open up Galatians four just for a minute. Galatians four, verse eight. This is what she's talking about. And we're going to look at context. And I'll just say this to you, Lisa, that we have a whole series on Galatians, and I would really encourage you to watch watch that. It's called the Galatians series. And Galatians is a huge book because Paul is hard to understand. Peter said this. Peter even wrote to us. Paul is hard to understand. And if you don't understand um, the law, you will misunderstand really what Paul is saying, because Paul was a scholar in the law, an expert of law. He studied under Gamaliel, very smart guy in the law, much more than I am. And and so in that sense, he's like when he's using scholarly speech, when he speaks, that is very hard to understand sometimes. So let's look at the context properly here and look at what he's saying. Galatians four, verse eight, he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Interesting. So he's speaking to people talking about in the past, you didn't know God. You're enslaved to false gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Okay, so he's saying you want to turn back to the things that you came out of your pagan practices, ideas. And look at what he says, weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Okay, so, for, so far, he's not talking anything about God's things. He's talking about worldly things. He again goes in verse 10, and this is the, the key verse. You observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain. All right, so he's talking here about these things, these days that, are to be, that, sh that you're doing in vain. Now... For us to conclude, he's talking about God's days and months and seasons. That is the Sabbath day or the feast days of God that are biblically, the biblical feast days. Hmm. 
how would we come to that conclusion when the two verses preceding that are talking about when you formerly did not know God, you're now returning to those things that you did. And he calls them the weak and worthless principles of the world. Or is the Sabbath a commandment of God given by God, a weak and worthless elementary principle of the world? Is the biblical feast days that God gave weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? No way. Far from it. Okay. So in that sense, brothers and sisters, he is certainly when he's talking about these months and seasons and years and things of that nature, he is most certainly talking about pagan days and months and seasons and years. For today, we can think of it like Halloween. It's a pagan day that celebrates evil and everything that is evil that people are celebrating. And, and Paul is saying, why are you going back to celebrating that which the pagans celebrated and that you celebrate when you were pagans? Right. This is he's talking about pagan practices that they're returning to, not gods. So, Lisa, I hope this answers your question. If you're watching, hey, I want you to just also, you know, I, I know that when you read the rest of Galatians 4, there are some more hard things in there, even talking about Sarah and Hagar and, and that whole metaphor he uses in Galatians 4.21. Uh, I'm not going to go into that right now, but please go and look at my Galatians series. And I have a, a video specifically on Galatians chapter 4, where we just talk about this chapter we just we're dealing with now. So please go look at the Galatians series on uh, the Rise on Fire YouTube channel. All right. Uh, hope that blessed you. And uh, we also have videos, by the way, for anyone wondering about the feasts. I have a video called The Five Reasons Christians Are Returning to Jewish Feasts. Uh, please go check that out if you're curious about the feast days and, and why they are important for us, biblically speaking. Okay, guys, we're coming to the end. I'm going to do maybe one more, maybe two. We'll see how it goes. And then I'm going to I'm going to take a question uh, from the chat here, a question or two as well. So please start writing those questions in the chat that you have. And we'll see if we can take one there as well now soon. All right. Uh, last question is regarding taking oaths. Okay, this is important. This one, you know, and this is a anonymous from someone anonymous in Illinois, we are commanded to not take oaths. Does that also apply in court? Okay, because Yeshua obviously said uh, when he talked, he said, you know, don't, just say yes, don't say no, just say yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Now, does that mean that we are never allowed to take an oath at all? Let's look at the scripture here in Matthew 533. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. OK, this is what the Torah says. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God or by earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. They would come. What you say be simply yes or no. Anything more is comes from evil. OK, so just some context. The entire Matthew chapter five is really talking about 
is how, how Yeshua is giving us the reasons for as to why we do certain things or have been allowed to do certain things in the law. He talks about divorce, eye for an eye, and now oaths. And when you think about what an oath is, an oath is when you go and you know I you have to you raise your hand in a legal setting and you say you know I I am making an oath that I will speak the truth nothing but the truth so help me God right something of that nature and the reason that our legal system has that today is because people lie because not everyone always tells the truth I mean think about it if if everyone just always spoke truth, we wouldn't need to ever have someone raise their hand and say they're going to make an oath that they're going to speak the truth now, which an oath is just basically saying, I am really going to speak the truth now. I, I pinky promise you, right? That's what it is. Even despite oaths, people still lie in court all the time. So oaths is something that should not exist just like divorce, right? Divorce is there because there is sin. Divorce is there because people do things to one another they ought not to do. Oaths should not exist in a world where people ideally should not exist because, but they do because people lie. And now in the same manner, now you need to understand why Yeshua is saying what he's saying, because look, he says some interesting things. He says, for example, don't swear, and he says, by heaven, it's the throne of God. By earth, it's his footstool. By Jerusalem, it's the city. So he's, he's talking about all these different places you can put an oath, right? What, what, what is that all about? Now, what he's actually talking about is, is something that, the, that certain Pharisees uh, were doing in his day. And, and what they were doing is they were saying, well, if we swear by Jerusalem, it's not binding. But if we swear towards Jerusalem, it is. Or if we swear by the temple, it's not binding. But if we swear by the temple's gold, then it is binding. Or if we swear by the altar of the sacrifice, it's not binding. But if we swore, swore by the gift on the altar itself, then it is binding. Right? This is, this is uh, what they were saying. And this was really things they were saying to get out of telling the truth. I mean, you know? It's like, oh, well, you know, I, I swore by uh, the altar of the sacrifice. So, you know, I, I, I was allowed to lie. I should have, if I swore by the gift on the altar, you know, then it was really serious. And I should, you know, that oath was really legit then. Okay. I, you know, I'm saying this in a, in a joking manner because this is actually how they thought. This is actually what they thought they could do. And so now Yeshua is responding and he's saying, as he says, whether you swear by the earth, whether you swear here or there, it doesn't matter. The earth is God's footstool. You know, don't, if, whether it's by heaven, that's the throne of God. Like, it doesn't matter. Let your, and this is why he says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be yes, no. Let what you say be true. Don't feel like you need to compensate by, by saying, I need to swear an oath. So that's his point. He's really battling a belief that he well, was going on in his day. And I don't believe that now, since we have legal systems that, you know, sometimes required of us to say swear an oath or something of that nature, I don't believe that he was talking about that. He is, he is talking about 
the idea of 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 saying you know even in speech we can if someone ask me something and I'm trying to explain to them something and, and I'll say, oh, well, I did this. I swear I did it. I, I really, I swear I did that. You know, he's saying, don't do that because why do you feel the need? Your credibility needs to be so high as being a believer that your yes is taken for what it what it is and your no is taken for what it is. You don't need to rely on any further explanations of, of oh, well, I swear. It is what it is because of how credible of a person you are. That is what he is saying. And so because the government sometimes in this world require us to to make an oath because they don't trust just our yes and our no, I believe that it would be in those situations all right. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a, a private contract like a lease that you sign or a, a contract between people or an agreement between people or or or, or the requirement before a judge to say, judge, I truly um, what I'm about to say is is truth. Right. In those instances, the law can require that of us. And I don't believe Yeshua is talking against that. Um, even Yeshua himself, when when he was asked to swear an oath, he did. For example, in Matthew 26, when the high priest said to him just before his crucifixion, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ. And he said, you have said so. I tell you, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. OK, so Yeshua, even he did, he allowed himself to be put under oath. And he even said under oath that you will see me at the right hand of the father. OK, so. Yeshua does allow that. But he, his word and our word, let me say, well, our word, it has to be always credible and true. Hope that helps. Hope that answers your question. Okay, great. Uh, guys, let's look at the live chat. Thank you guys so much for joining me in the live chat. You're so appreciative of you guys being with me and tuning in. Um, just before I answer some of these questions in the live chat and and start on you know ending off the night. I want to remind you that if you ever want to be reminded to join us, just text Yeshua to nine four zero zero zero, Yeshua to nine four zero zero zero, and you'll get a text on the day that we plan to go live here. So you can join us in the live chat. All right. Um, Heart of the tribe said these are great answers to questions that are not always easy to answer. Oh, thank you. I try my best. I pray. I pray that God um, helps us all have understanding. I'm not perfect, but uh, but I praise that. I praise God that the Holy Spirit helps us. Um, so it's not about me. I'm not smart. He really is. I pray before all of these guys, and I'm like, God, help me. I am unable to do this, Lord. You need to do this. I I have absolute reliance on Him, and that's really how we should be when we're in ministry or doing anything of ministry. Um, with Tally say, ask this question in the live chat and let me pull up that for us here. Do you believe that God will gather his people physically in Israel one day and he will call us return to Israel, not only spiritually? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think in the scriptures we see that he is going to create. He's going to make heaven and earth new create a new earth let me say and he is going to rule from jerusalem 
there's even going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Christ where he's going to rule from Jerusalem and, you know, his believers will be there with him. So there's absolutely going to be a physical gathering in Israel and you know what that finally all looks like we'll see but absolutely the scriptures speak about that cool lisa actually just came into the live chat thank you so much for clearing this up for me pd wow how did i miss that thank you i will check out your galatian series oh it's you know there's so many things that I miss every year. And then I read the same scripture and I'm like, wow, I never saw that before. That's so awesome. You know, that's how we learn and we learn from each other and we edify one another. So I'm glad it blessed you. So, yeah, the Sabbath is a massive blessing, Lisa, and everyone else who's listening. You know, I I can't say enough about how it's changed my relationship with the Lord for the better. And I know that there are many of you even in the live chat who will who will testify so if you're in the live chat the sabbath is the sabbath has blessed you just just type the sabbath has blessed me say it in there so that people can know that it's it's real guys god didn't just give it for no reason like there's such blessing he wants a date with us he wants time with us and he wants us to recoup and rest in him and yeah have have a great spiritual walk with him Cool. Let's see. Anything else? Um, thank you so much, Tree Guy, for that super chat. I really appreciate it. He says good teaching. Well, praise God for that. All right, guys. I thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, I praise God for his help and helping me and for you coming to join me. I want to just pray for everyone here and before we end it off. And I want to ask especially that the Lord creates a mind, gives us one mind in unity because, you know, we're, we're doing these Q&A's for one reason to just to to just have a conversation about some things. And and, you know, I want to hear from you as well. I want to hear when you disagree with me as well. I, I want us all to be able to learn from one another and grow in unity and grace, even when we disagree about things. So, Father, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would come with your Holy Spirit and give us one mind. Lord, give us unity. Lord, help us to love one another. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to help us to love one another so that we can be known as your disciples. Father, I pray, Lord, for everyone who's listening to this, Lord, who's who's got infirmities, who's got pains, who's got hurts physically, emotionally, who's got oppressions, even demonic oppressions, who's got trauma. Lord, everyone who's got unanswered questions or confusion and even a spirit of confusion that causes them to be confused about your word and not be able to see clearly what your word says. Father, I pray against that in the name of Yeshua. And I speak freedom and deliverance over your people. And you would give them one mind and one heart Lord, that they would be of one spirit or that they would be of your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit upon them, Lord, that you would deliver them from confusions, from infirmities, from doubts. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us such a a a a pleasure of being able and empowered to walk like you, Yeshua, and that you've left us such a beautiful word that can help us to look more like you. So, Yeshua, I pray for everyone who is here 
um, who's listening today, who who wants to walk more like you and who has something to give up. Guys, I just feel in my spirit that the Lord is the Holy Spirit is saying that that there are we there's something he wants us to give up. And I want to ask you, what is it there that you want to give up? What is there that that you want to let go in your life? That thing that you're tired of, the way that, that you are, you know, something about you that you don't like, that that is contrary to the Lord and his ways. If there is something like that, now is the time. Tonight's the night to to give that up and say, Lord, take this. I want to serve you in a greater way than ever before. I want to be used in greater manners than ever before. I pray all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. So, guys, thank you so much. Head to the live chat. See how many people are there. There's so countless many saying the Sabbath bless me, the Sabbath bless me, the Sabbath bless me because the Sabbath is a blessing. I just feel like I had to holler that I had to holler that here today. Uh, it's such a, a blessing and, and you're really missing out if you have been missing out on that fourth commandment. And so if you're interested in the Sabbath, go check out our playlist. It's called the Sabbath day and I have tons of videos on that as well. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. If this video has been a blessing to you, I labor in ministry. And if the Lord is putting it on your heart, if he so leads you, then you are able to make a offering a contribution to this ministry to help me continue to do this every week. And so if you are so glad, you can go to riseonfire.com. Thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you guys in the next video. I love you. Shalom.